welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And this week, we have a lot to talk about. The Supreme Court has had a very busy week. We are in the mm-hmm. middle of Supreme Court sweeps season. There are no stories of justices jumping the shark or whatever. Yeah. Ross, we have no <laughs> idea who he's going to marry. But the Supreme Court has its own sweeps style. They come out with all these radical cases that are going to upend our law and our precedents that Americans have been relying on. I'm just speaking tongue-in-cheek here. They do right. their thing. Uh, they are busy right now, I'm sure, rewriting the law. But, we're hey, we're going to talk about it. That's why we are here, Chris. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it was it was quite the busy week. All right, so we have two of their cases we want to talk about, uh, huge cases. Hey, we know they're huge because Fox News and CNN covered them. They uh, did. Plus, I interviewed the lovable lawyer, Daniel Karen. Now, I know I have your interest right now. You're saying, Chris, <laughs> what? There's another lovable lawyer out there besides lies. myself? Lies. No. All lies. Yeah, you're not the only lovable lawyer. I know most listeners said that the idea of a lovable lawyer is oxymoronic, but hey, I found him. <laughs> he is big on lawyer wellness, so you need oh. your mental health, yes. your spiritual health, your physical health. But I got to tell you, Chris, if your legal affairs are slightly off kilter, you're a mess. Old Daniel Karen is your legal doctor, and then you'll want to check out this interview today. He has some amazing things to share. And finally, Chris, you and I are going to do what we love to do, which is get our digs in on Roger Goodell. Why will we be doing that? Well, it's the thing to do. He appeared before a House committee this past week, and I am going Mm -hmm. to suggest, Chris, but I'm going to let you all be the judge. Uh He committed perjury. He out and out lied in a congressional hearing. As you and I understand that term to... To, to mean lie, as we understand right. that term, lie he, told a, he told a whopper. How's that for a teaser? Uh, yo, for sure. He's a liar. Liar! All right, we're going to jump into that. We got to wait until the end of the podcast. But first, Chris, I need your help. This podcast should be aired here on this weekend, on Saturday. This is wedding week. My oldest son is getting married. So let me ask you, Chris, do you, do you go to many weddings? You Oh my gosh. Uh, Not so much at this part of my life, but from my 20s to about now, I've gone to, I would say, at least four or five dozen weddings. Okay. And it's Uh, typical, right? As as we get older, then the people that we know have kids, and so then we go to their kids' weddings. Right. My Uh, niece's wedding was two weeks ago. Okay. So, yep. Big wedding season. It's doing it. Now, let me ask you, what do you like about a wedding ceremony? Do you prefer the um, the traditional, hey, we're going to read the same old, same old, do the I do's and the vows and, you know, uh, hey, does anyone have uh, any any reason to complain that he's to stand up now for a whole piece? You know, <laughs> the traditional crap. Right. Or do you want it to be fresh and new? You know, funny. Edgy. It's funny. Because I got to so, tell you, there's some risk there. What are your thoughts? So... You know, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So weddings for Mormon LDS culture is very different than the rest of Christian culture, right? Weddings for Mormon culture is you go to a, a temple, you go to an LDS temple, you sit across an altar, and they seal you for time and all eternity. It's like a five-minute deal. They come in, they pronounce a blessing, five and you're minutes. out, and then you're off to the party. So I okay. love that because it's five minutes and I'm off to the party. Now, for my friends that aren't of the same faith as I, I always prefer the funny, 
entertaining like wedding style. You could build in tradition, but you're uh what pastor, minister, priest, whoever's doing your ceremony, you got to entertain me, right? If we're going to be there for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, I don't want to be bored trying to figure out, is it okay to check my phone or not? Exactly. If it's just your traditional, you know, you're reading a script kind of wedding, right? no one's paying attention. Not, not even, even the bride bit. or groom are paying attention. They no. checked you out. And so, yeah, I, the problem is you have invested parties what i'm talking about would right. be the mothers-in-law and the mothers you know both sides will have mm -hmm. them and they kind of don't want the weddings messed with. i'm just guessing here. I, I have no idea i've not had this conversation with any of them actually with, <laughs> with my wife i have uh, Wendy? nonetheless exactly I, I i'm doing the wedding and i'm a little nervous because yeah. Because you know me, my shtick right. is I can't be serious at all. No. I, I, it, it's cliche-ish. I just cannot right. do it. I was asked to give the benediction for a, a, a high school graduation a few years ago. Okay. And you, you know what a benediction is, right? It's the last yeah. prayer. Closing prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone listen to it? Not really. No, they check you out. Mm -hmm. So what? why are you even up there wasting oxygen? So I decided to do a non-cliche prayer. Ooh, I love and this. people still talk about it to this day. It's, I don't know if that's a good thing or it's a, a great thing. bad thing. It's a great thing. But you know what? Nobody, it, I don't think, especially the youths of the day, these youths, right? If they wanted a traditional wedding, they would go to a traditional church. They would have the minister that was their minister since they were a child. And and maybe that is you, right? You used to be a preacher, Joel. So, you know, it, you could be the minister from when they were kids. But at the end of the day, like, they want to have something memorable. They they asked you, you know, your son asked you as his father, because he knows you. He knows your presentation style. He knows that, you know, you can, you could really work a room. And so you need to lean into that strength of working a room and make everybody feel comfortable and loved and celebrated for this wonderful occasion. So at least you want to be real, right? right. That, that's what I'm saying. You want to be yeah. real. If you're just going to do some kind of cliche-ish thing that no one's even going to listen to, then what's the point? What, what's the point? Right. Yeah. You're, yeah, not a really you're not a placeholder. You're their dad and soon to be father-in-law. So lean into it hard, man. Lean it like right. mock mock your son incessantly. Talk about how <laughs> your soon to be daughter in law really should have picked a better mate. She needs to raise her stand. Like ask her who hurt you to make you think that your son was the best one out. Like you could have fun with it. Okay, I'm not gonna go that far. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> but um, I, I think I'm gonna take your earlier advice where you said we're gonna do a little bit of mixing uh, and matching. Yeah. We're gonna do right. a little bit of tradition. But also, we're not going to just fill it with a bunch of cliches because who really cares about a cliche? Exactly. All right, let's move on. Oh, oh, also, the cake. What is oh. your opinion? Because I'm going to a wedding here, and I, I got to say, this is Love unlike cake. the weddings that I was accustomed to growing up. Now, I grew up in a much okay. different household, right? Um, right, right. Money was kind of hard to come by. And so you, yeah. you, you basically live paycheck to paycheck. You didn't have these 100 thousand dollar weddings i mean that's just insane right right right, right, right. all right so so there's going to be a reception there's going to be dinner uh there will be no alcohol at it uh but there mm -hmm. will it, it, the cake what is your preferred cake if you're going to a wedding are you good and there's there's a wedding cake and then there's any other dessert out there cheesecake whatever what are you picking 
Oh, man. This is hard because for my personal wedding, when my wife and I got married, we had seven different cakes. And it was Funfetti. It was mint chocolate chip. It was Reese's peanut butter chocolate cake. It was all sorts of stuff. But if I had to choose, and I know I'm going to get heat for this, Funfetti every day of the week. I want a Funfetti wedding cake. First of all, I'm kind of bummed you did not invite me to your wedding. That sounds like an amazing uh, array of wedding cake. I would love to have seen that. That would have changed my perspective on wedding cakes. But I got to tell you, I know I've been ragging on wedding cakes forever. I got to tell you, I'm excited about tasting some more wedding cake. Maybe I've been wrong. I'm getting a little excited about this almond-flavored vanilla cake. You only eat it at weddings. That's why they don't serve it at Cheesecake Factory. That and probably no one would buy it. But still, there is something (laughs) special about having that almond-flavored cake at a wedding. And so I'm excited to taste and see what they are, are bringing. All right, hey, you know what? Let's stop wasting time here. Let's jump right into the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court had a big week this last week. Let's start off with New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. This is the big Second Amendment case. The right to possess firearms. The Second Amendment says that, you know, the right... uh, Actually, as I'm sitting here now, I forget what the Second Amendment says. But Do you remember what the Second Amendment says? I do remember what the Second Amendment says. Go ahead and quote it for me. Uh, Militia, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There you go. I knew you would not let me down. And so the issue is, what does that mean? Does that contain a personal right to keep and bear arms? Or does it just say that there's a right to have a state-regulated militia? Well, the Supreme Court answered that back in Heller in 2008. said, no, there's a personal right to keep and bear arms. So that's been taken care of. But what kind of arms? That's the next issue. Are you allowed to have... Um, you know, uh, machine guns, submachine guns, atomic weapons. You know, what kind of arms are you allowed right. to possess? Well, and also the other thought is, okay, can the government put restrictions on your ability mm-hmm. to keep and bear arms? So can they right. require a licensing requirement, a pre-check, mm-hmm. things like that? Yeah. And so in this case, here's what happened. New York had this law, and it's been on the books for, I think, over 100 years, a long right. time which I find interesting, which I'm going to explain why I find interesting in just a bit. But basically they said, look, you can have a gun. You can on your possession. If you can establish a proper cause. Now, what does that mean? According to these New York state officials, this is what it means. You have to prove a need, a special need to have these firearms. In other words, let's say self-defense. Oh, I need this gun because I want to defend myself. That's not good enough. You need to prove to us, the regulating uh, people, that you actually are in danger, that someone is trying to mug you. You have proved special need to have a gun to protect yourself in self-defense. That was the issue before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said in a six to three ruling written by Justice Clarence Thomas, no, this went too far. You, you cannot do that. You cannot subject the exercise of constitutional rights, fundamental constitutional rights, to the whim of state officials. Chris, I know in the free speech context, this kind of regulation would never fly. I mean, you, you can't just go to a state official and just say, can I speak? And they say, well, hold on a second. What do you want to say? Do you really need to say what you want to say? That's not how it works. You don't have to prove to a state official your right 
to exercise a constitutional right. Rather, the state officials should be pursuing some kind of legitimate state interest in regulating your constitutional rights, but it can't be left to the whim of a state official. So that was the six to three decision. Before I unpack well, this further, let me just pause here. Do you have any thoughts? I I I read the opinion because um, I thought it was an interesting opinion with with Justices um, Roberts and um, I think it was Gorsuch that were talking about there are situations where the state can regulate the right to bear arms. Just this specific one of saying the 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 sorry the it's 6 a.m. where I'm at, so I'm still waking up. The The case turned on the idea that if you put self-defense down as the reason why you wanted a CCW, that was not good enough to the New York law. You had to have some eminent danger, as you just discussed. The court said, no, self-defense is enough. Self-defense is more right. than enough for you to get a CCW. If you are in fear for your life or you believe that you need to have self-defense, you could say self-defense, that being a reason. The court also said... There are situations where you should not be issued a CCW, There's, but they haven't seen those cases yet. So on this specific narrow finding, and I, and I think it's narrowly tailored really well enough to say self-defense, yes, you can have a gun for self-defense. You don't need to prove eminent danger. You can use the phrase self-defense. Now, I think you're referring to the concurring opinion uh, written by Justice Brett Kavanaugh, joined by the Chief right, Justice Kavanaugh. John Roberts. So you got that's two right. of them right there. So let's just pause right there. That's two out of the six. Therefore, right. if they're saying this is our spin on this opinion, that's controlling. Because if you take those two votes out, it no longer becomes a 6-3 six, six, majority, right? Right. Uh, and so th these two people, th th the fact that there's two here is very significant. Now, right. what this concurring opinion said was, uh, Brett Kavanaugh said, look, this decision is extremely limited. As you just pointed out, he said, this right. ruling will not bar states from imposing any licensing requirements. Right. So, hey, look, we want, we want to make sure that you ask for it ahead of time. Uh, uh, make sure that we can check your fingerprints, run it through our mental health records, our, our felony records, things like that. That's okay. There's the, the, the two said, look, there can still be reasonable uh, reg regulation requirements here. And so that's not what we're saying here. We're just simply saying in this context, right. when self-defense is the reason why you want your gun, you don't have to prove special need beyond that. But this does not mean that you can't have a licensing requirement. Also, what the court said was, this does not mean that you are allowed to have a gun any and everywhere you want to be. There are sensitive areas. Now, Chris, what are those sensitive areas? We don't know. We can probably guess. Obviously, schools are going to be one, right? They're going to mm -hmm. say, look, you can't. You don't have a right to bring a gun with you to calculus class. The, the right. Schools are a sensitive area. Maybe sporting bars. avenues. Right. Bars are good, where there's a lot of alcohol. Right. And stupid people. I already mentioned the, the NRA, events. The NRA convention. You can't have a gun at the NRA convention. Now, I'm not sure that they said that in their opinion, but I think we got the idea that, yeah, <laughs> if there are sensitive areas out there, right? Uh, but urban areas or, um, you know, uh, that, that's, that's not a, a sensitive area. According right. To urban court. or rural, rural areas as well, right? The guys that are rolling around in upstate New York with gun racks on the back of their trucks and carrying a pistol on their hip for self-defense, it is what it is. 
which is interesting because they're basically saying, look, if you're in an urban area where there's a lot of people, that means there might be a lot of crime. You will need a gun for self-defense. Okay, but if you carry that one step further to really crowded areas, then why are you going to say on a right. college campus you can't have a gun? Or, or again, a sporting venue where there's a lot of people. Well, then I, I think the court's going to say, look, no, we're not going to do that. If you're in a crowded area where people are just kind of sitting ducks in a, in a theater. Right, collateral like stands, damage, yeah. We're, we're not going to allow for guns in that area. So there will be sensitive areas. How that's defined, we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah. One other thought about this. We're talking about the government's restrictions on your Second Amendment rights. Right. That does not apply to private businesses. If a private business wants to say, no, 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 this is my business. I own this property. You can't bring guns onto our property. They are allowed to, to do that. That is not right. the government uh, imposing a restriction. That is a private landowner imposing restrictions, and that would not be covered by this case. Yeah. All right. Few people no, understand no. that difference, though, Joel. You see that a lot with uh, with individuals. We, my wife and I, lived back in California, you know, a bunch of years ago, and we had an acquaintance of ours who was a wannabe police officer. He idolized the cops. Blue Lives Matter everywhere. He he wanted to be a cop, but he couldn't make the the physical or the mental requirements for it. But he carried his CCW everywhere he went. And we told him that it was uncomfortable in our house. We did not want you carrying, leave it in your glove box if you're going to come to our house. And he lost his mind on us one night about how we can't restrict his Second Amendment right and he could carry his gun wherever he wants to go and blah, 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 blah. And trying to have that conversation about it's the government that can't restrict you. You're in my house. There's right. a difference. Huge difference. I, yeah. I think a lot of people miss that. Uh, I did right. a podcast just yesterday with a, a, a company. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a, um, we were talking about how the first amendment rights and the second amendment rights, they are, people are starting to broaden those. It used to be, we right. understood that like, the first amendment rights is Congress can pass no law restricting your free speech rights. Right. But now if you're saying I'm working for an employer, a private employer, I want free speech rights with my private employer. If I go on Facebook or on Twitter and I say something on Twitter, then you know, I should have free speech rights there. Well, hold on. I, I get that. You're thinking of free speech in some kind of vague, generalized right of I had the freedom to speak my mind. Okay, I get that if you're going to use it in a general sense. That's not how it's used in the Constitution. It's used in the Constitution saying government right. cannot restrict your free speech rights or uh, put it into our conversation right here, your Second Amendment mm -hmm. rights, but private citizens can if they want to. Long. Yeah, that, that's a different issue, a different story. Uh, but people nowadays are starting to confuse those, especially the bigger that social media becomes when it comes to your free speech rights. You're thinking, well, hold on a second. You know, the the, the social media sites now, the platforms of Twitter, uh, of Facebook, those are the public streets of yesteryear. That's where free speech happens. So when there are restrictions on free speech, on social media that impedes my right to speak well i get that but not really but that's yeah, not they're trying Congress, to make that argument pretty hard there. yes yeah I all mean, right yeah private company get off of twitter if you don't like what they have to say or blocking you get off of Twitter. start your own what's the trump network truth.com or whatever truth truth dot something I'm, I'm not the I'm not the Trump lover. You're the Trump lover, I and am. so you probably are following that. I, I, I am. Not I am on that platform I... yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, tongue in cheek here. Uh, all right, so 
Let's move on now to the second big case issued from the Supreme Court this last week, Carson v. Make It. Now, Chris, I like this opinion. I find it interesting. I'm going to do a little bit of self-promoting here. When you, you read an opinion and you see the course that the court, as it, it's analyzed how it came to this decision, cite a case that you are responsible for. And so I, I, I like that. So what Carson v. Macon was about was Maine had this law that said, look, in the rural areas of Maine, we, we can't have public schools everywhere. We just can't do that. There's not a population base to support it. So we are going to give, let's just say, vouchers, for lack of a better term, that you can use to go to any school you want to if you are in one of these rural areas. Except you cannot use this voucher to go to a religious school, a sectarian school. And so no, religious schools, you know, you are second class citizens. We will not allow for any of our vouchers to be used there. Any other school is fine. Well, the Supreme Court said, no, that is discrimination based upon a religion as a violation of the First Amendment free exercise clause. And right. as precedent, it cited the Trinity Lutheran case. Well, Chris, there was a time not too long ago, since we're talking about my oldest son getting married, where my son and I went to Trinity Lutheran and we met with this church and they were discussing whether or not they want to file a lawsuit in a case where they were denied a grant from the state of Missouri for recycled tires. And the issue is, should we bring this case uh, against the state of Missouri and, and their officials for denying this church this grant for recycled tires? We analyzed the pros and cons and uh, my son was there to witness this and we said yes they said yes let's take this case so we filed that case and it ended up at the u.s supreme court there you go. paving the way for carson v macon all right so Chris, this is your fault this is your fault joel i will take credit for this absolutely <laughs> will i take credit i have so many different thoughts on why this is a good decision but what are your thoughts before i i, I destroy them you act like I don't think this is a good decision. Um, I think, again, in the narrowly tailored faction of it, it's important to realize that it's not a state funding church education systems. It is a state doing a cost-benefit analysis on what is best use for the state funds. And it's not like they're in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, and the kids have six different choices and the, the state is funding, you know, St. Mary's School for the Gifted Children or Xavier's School for Gifted Children. What the state is doing is going, look, we don't have the means or the ability or the operation skills to put schools out in rural Maine, which, by the way, population of Maine is like, what, 60? So it's not... Right. There's not huge giant cities here. So I think the Supreme Court was clear in saying, look, in situations where when it's the exception and not the rule, Maine was making it the rule. We can't fund this. And the Supreme Court goes, look, there's exceptions to every rule out there because you can't have broad, broad rules, broad strokes of rules over every little aspect of the United States, every inch of, of our territory. So the Supreme Court recognized the exception that in this situation where there's no public schools available or it's a, a great burden to families to get to a public schools, here, take this voucher, go to whatever school you want to go to. Chris, I appreciate your opinions because I know they come from the left. And so I appreciate yeah. how even the left sometimes can get issues half right. And so I applaud you on that. That is good. That's right. I am all that is right.
So here is a problem. Let's just go back 20 years ago before this, the Supreme Court finally started fixing the problem. Uh, but 20 years ago, you had this long line of cases, and they all stood for this proposition. Right. Religion in the public square is bad. It, that was the thought. Oh, no, you can't have prayer in public. People will get offended by prayer. Oh, you're reading the Bible? No, that's not appropriate. We are in the public square. Oh, you, you, you are actually are a religious person? Don't you know we are in the public square? You can't share that. You need to hide the fact you have religious beliefs. Chris, I am almost being facetious just a little bit. That is almost as bad as it was. It was thought, look, you can have religion, keep it to yourself. And and you saw that in our laws. And so you saw, you saw these cases where you had, um, you know, we have a prayer in the schools, we have Bible reading in the schools, we have 10 commandments posted. Those were all bad. So you had to step back and say, why is that bad? Why could you not have prayer in the public schools? Why can you not have Bible reading in the public schools? Well, this is how this, the court analyzed that, and I agree with half of this. All right, the, the court said, look, you can't have the government forcing religion on the people. We Correct. have free exercise. The government cannot right. establish an official religion, and whenever the government is forcing religion on people, mm -hmm. That, that's bad. Now, right. you can only go so far with that. And, you know, for example, legislative prayer. Is that really forcing religion on people? No, you don't have to join in on that prayer. And so th there is some limits to that. But still, the, the general idea is good. The government cannot force you to engage in religious practices. We have the First Amendment. Okay, Chris, that's not what is happening here. Uh, there is a critical difference between the government forcing religion on you and the government just simply allowing you to be a religious person. Do you see the distinction there? It's a huge distinction. Yes. You, we have a lot of religious people in this country. They are all over the place. You don't have to go in hiding. You don't have, you don't, uh, have to stop being religious to participate in, uh, in governmental affairs or in the public square. And that's what right. the court is saying here. Look, we have a neutral program. This program was not designed to promote religion. No, in fact, this program was designed just to allow kids to go to school. You say, okay, but still, we don't want government money for you know, uh, funding uh, religious doctors or pushing religion on us. That's not what is happening here. The only way government money ends up in the hands of religious school is, and get this, Chris, is through the private decision of private individuals. That's the circuit breaker. So the government cannot be endorsing religion, cannot be funding religion. Money only goes to a religious institution via the private choice of private citizens. And that is why this is not an establishment clause of violation. All right, Chris, I am now getting off my soapbox. Any thoughts? I have a lot of them. Um, I think part of the reason why we had 20 years ago, and I think it, it may have been because we're in 2022, I want to say it was more like in the early 90s, so 30 years ago, hate to put us all out for being old right now, but the, I, the problem was that there was no individual restraint. So the government came in, which we've seen hundreds of times in our government's history, where they swing the pendulum completely in the opposite direction, causing the opposite amount of problems. Because I remember I went to a public school in a small town in California, about an hour north of Sacramento, and we started every day with the pledge and the prayer. And if you did not participate in the prayer, they asked a kid to come up. And this is in the, the late 80s, early 90s. If you did not come up to the prayer, you were ostracized. Right. And and that's 
And that's where religion goes, government and religion go bad. And again, small town California, not like we had a Jewish individual or Muslim or Hindu. It was all some variation of Christian prayer. Now, was that the government endorsing Christianity? No, that's just the population that we had in that town. But requiring students to go up and give the prayer every day is a problem. Because and if, I, and I, if, you're not, if you're not a religious person, which I did not grow up religious, then you are now telling me or you're now forcing me to participate in a religion not of my choosing. Exactly. And the court has said in that That's context bad. that you just mentioned, you right. got kids in grade school. They're unduly subjected to pressures. And so when the principal says you need to come up front and participate in this religious event, you can see how that could be considered coercive on that kid. That's not what we have in this no, case. No, not in what we case, have at all in this case. The kids are only going to this, this religious school because their parents said, I want my kids going to this religious school. That's the circuit breaker there. And so the government is not coercing kids right. to go to a religious uh, school and receive religious instruction. If anything, it's their parents doing it, which is not a first amendment violation. And so that is the critical difference. So the question I got asked, Hey, three liberal justices, I'm looking at you, Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan. Why did you vote no on this case? This is not a situation where the government was endorsing religion. Money was only going to religious schools via the private choice. So why are you upset about this? The only reason I can glean is this idea of religion, Public square, bad. We don't want religion in the public square. And so we got to have this you know, um, absolutely no connection between church and state whatsoever. And that is a flawed way to look at our constitution. Well, I think it. they look at it as it being a slippery slope. And in reading some of the opinion, it isn't that church is bad. It's not, it's not to me, because I know that Sotomayor is a practicing Catholic. And I know that, that, these things they don't think religion is bad is that they think that government should not be paying money into religious organizations because then some random church in skokie illinois or biggs california is going to come out and say well they did it in maine so we do it here it's going to now it's going to because and they people, should do it there as they long shouldn't as do it there as long as the money only goes to religious organization via the private choice where is the the government endorsement of religion. The the problem with that is now you are going to, in my opinion, again, the, the problem with that is now you're going to get state legislatures that say we need to do away with public education altogether because we need to give that money to parents to make private choices. And that's just not an option. It may have worked in this narrowly tailored main case, but this is going to be the exception to the rule. It is not going to be the rule everywhere. And that's where the three liberal judges come in because state legislators are going to try to make that the rule everywhere. They're going to see this as a green light to start privatizing public education through this idea that, well, the Supreme court says that we can give it, let the parents have a choice and the parents choice is that. So we're going to take money from public education. And again, I agree with you 50% of the way. I do think this is going to green light that I do not think the states are going to then get rid of public education. I think they will continue with public education, but they will. I do think a lot of states will then say, okay, well, why not let parents have this freedom? You know, if our public schools are failing, why not have the ability to take my tax dollars and direct it to a school 
that's doing a better job. Why do my kids have to be guinea pigs while the state figures out how to do public education? But I don't think the states will ever fully do away with public education. I, I don't think state they'll just give it to the worst. Of, they'll just give it to the lowest of society. They won't do away with it. They'll just keep the lower socioeconomic classes in crappy education and then let tax dollars go to higher end neighborhoods to pay for, you know, other people to go higher socioeconomic classes to get quote unquote better education to perpetuate the system, the caste system that's in America. So it's, I mean, Arizona is doing away with public education in the guise of parental choice. And even though the voters overwhelmingly voted to fund public education, the legislator said, no, we know what's best. So we're going to go ahead and expand vouchers. I, the system and if we want to fix public education, moving tax dollars to schools that quote unquote perform better isn't the way to fix public education. To fix public education is that we need to do a major overhaul of the public education system. This is my soapbox, and I do apologize to everybody who's now turned <laughs> off the podcast because we are pretty passionate about public education and that it should be a palace and not just the court of last resort. And I, 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 since I'm nothing but fair and I like to be open-minded, I, I do agree with some of what you're saying here. Yeah. I, I do think public education needs to be strong and, and it needs to be, uh, you know, um, provide quality education to everyone. So I, I, I don't think public education is going anywhere. And if that's the way some state legislators are doing it, you know, fully on them, that's a horrible decision. I think you need to allow for competition because competition makes everyone better. And, uh, and so if you have private schools that can, do, and I, I'm involved with a private school, I'm coaching tennis at a private school. My kids have gone to a private school. I know the money that goes into public schools far exceeds the money that goes into the private school. They're able to run a quality K through 12 educational school uh, organization on far less money than what the public schools use. So maybe private schools can do education better. That being said, you should never do away with public education. I, and I think the opposite should happen. Kids should be given choices. And so that you're going to force public education to get better and do better what they're doing or else then yeah, they're going to lose students to private schools and private schools. But if they do the job better, so kids are getting a better education, what's the problem there? But that being said, that is, um, uh, we, we'll have to wait and see how this case plays out into that area. All right, it is now time, Chris, to for me to play this interview I did this week with the lovable lawyer. I want to make sure you stay stay in and listen to this as you will find the other lovable lawyer that is out there other than yourself. I feel betrayed. Well, this week I am excited to bring to you a guy that I am just certain you're going to love. This is the lovable lawyer, Daniel Karen. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, this is an interesting situation. I assume you've heard so many jokes about this. I almost hate to do it. It's low-hanging fruit, but lovable lawyer. Is that an oxymoronic statement? Can lawyers actually be lovable? I'm assuming you've heard that before. I've been called worse. I guess if I want to be called lovable, I got to call myself lovable. Can't even count my wife half the time. But, um, you know, people generally have this aversion to lawyers. I even did a video on this, why people hate lawyers. But you know what, by God, you love your lawyer. Your lawyer is going to help you out of that jam, that divorce, that personal injury accident, whatever else. And these are people who care about you and want to help you because they're on this planet and chosen this profession to help folks. 
Now, I want to hear more about that, but I'm just going to tell you, I've been doing this podcast and I've been interviewing lawyers. I've been researching lawyers from my class. And when I, when I, when I saw a lovable lawyer, I, I was shocked and I don't know why I was shocked, but I was shocked to see all of your amazing credentials. I mean, you are teaching at the highest level. People actually pay to hear what you have to say at the law school level. I mean, you get accredited by the highest accrediting agencies out there. Why did you see fit? Well, first of all, let's, let's just pause. I want to get there in just a minute. minute. Uh, but first, where can people find you? Oh, right out of the gate, I want to know what is your, I know it'll be on our show tunes and notes and things like that, but how can people, where are you, where, where, where are you on the internet? Well, you can find Your Lovable Lawyer at www.yourlovablelawyer.com. I've got a YouTube channel. I've got a Facebook page. I've got my law firm website, but that's that's the other that's right. the other project. We're not we don't need to talk about today. That's not as much fun as your lovable lawyer and bringing legal wellness to people who can't otherwise get it, but who really need it. So I'm I'm everywhere. You're, you're everywhere now. TikTok. I'm everywhere but TikTok, and I'll tell you why. Two reasons. <laughs> I wouldn't one, hear bud it. one budget. There's only so much to go around. So I poured it into a YouTube campaign and Facebook, and to some extent, Instagram. But second, as it concerns TikTok, I mean, TikTok is blowing up. I watched a documentary a few days ago about these TikTok houses in LA and these young kids going in and just blowing up with these videos, and it's endless content, and they're killing it. But right. that's not my market. If, if, if I want to get picked up by, say, CNN or NBC as somebody to comment on something meaningful and legitimate, and I'm a Columbia and Michigan and Ohio State law professor, which is what you meant by the credentials, by the way, you know, playing TikTok isn't really what's going to get me where I want to go. That's not the audience. That's not the credibility that I'm looking for. I'm looking for something right, more right. legitimate than, say, a 30-second, 90-second TikTok stream. Well, I am over the age of 50, and so I was just recently introduced to TikTok. I had no idea it existed because if you're over 50, I don't think you would accidentally stumble upon TikTok, but that, that's a story for another day. Uh, I, but recently, I, I came across TikTok. I don't, oh, my wife loves her golden doodles. She has two golden doodles, and I'm embarrassed to say that because I – oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I have no idea. <laughs> Tell me about it. Is my wife going to see this? She brought it home. I've been living with her for seven years. I kind of like her, but boy, she kept the, me up again last night with the, the wife or the wife. golden doodle. Exactly. Okay. The other guy I have on here, Chris, he actually has pit bulls. Like, you know what? That's a manly dog. I could talk about my pit bulls, but nonetheless, she loves to post pictures of, of her golden doodle. They even have a Facebook page themselves, but she'll see these TikTok videos of golden doodles, all the doing all these crazy things. She sends them to me. So that's how I got introduced to the world of TikTok. Maybe there's a future there somewhere in talking about the wellness of lawyers. Uh, but yeah, you come extremely highly credentialed and you've written a book. Well, I'm working on a book. I'm working on my okay. first book. I, I've spent years written, writing uh, for academia, a lot of law journal, a lot of law review, and a lot of bar journal articles. And I have a column for this Law 360, which is a legal daily with maybe 100 and, or sorry, million seven viewers or wow. readers rather. But I am writing my first novel. It's been taking a long time because life and kids and everything else get in the way. But it is really what I'm hoping and praying is going to come out and do well. And I'll get an agent and get a publisher. And it's a great story. But uh, fiction writing is different from legal writing. So I've been reforming my legal writing to channel it through a fiction lens to capture this uh, readability that fiction writing necessarily requires that 
legal writing often neglects. You're still right, writing right, for people, right. and it's not, yeah, actually it's easier. You're writing for an audience of one, your judge. Know what he or she wants to read and write for him or her. Now, I think legal writing is very similar to writing for, for fun, right? If you're going to write to, let's just say you're telling a story, you're writing some fictional narrative, you're trying to grab someone's attention, lead them along the way. I think that's very similar to what lawyers should be doing. The problem is so many lawyers, they write because they want to sound like they're justifying some billable hour. I don't know. How many syllables can we throw into this one sentence? And that's the worst kind of writing. Sure, sure, sure. The, the aforementioned lawyer you're referring to <laughs> writes with far too many words. But you're right. At bottom, the theme you're getting at is that we're all storytellers. We're a species of storytellers, whether it's sitting on our kid's bed or your mom and dad sitting on the foot of your bed telling you a story when you're little or telling a story in front of a jury. You're telling a story yes. and bringing people through a beginning, middle, and end to get someplace, someplace good and worthwhile that they want to go along with you. They want to go on the journey with you. And boy, if you can't tell a story, whether it's in writing or uh, orally, you're in the wrong business because God gave us two ways to communicate, through writing and through speaking, and you got to be okay. able to crush them both. And the great thing about storytelling, when you are telling that story to the judge, is the judge gets to write the last chapter. And so if I were the judge, you know, Old Yeller would not have died. Old Yeller would be on some chicken parts farm enjoying the latter years of his life. Uh, and the judge gets to write the last chapter of your book. So if you are moving that judge along, hey, that's another story. That's legal writing. We'll do that on a different podcast. I want to get to eventually the fact that you are a lovable lawyer and, and, and you teach lawyer wellness. And I find that to be fascinating, but that's just a teaser. We're going to get there first. I want to know how you got to where you are now in your career. You're highly successful. I'm looking at you right now and you have a brick background of your office. That is a cool office. You have a, you have nice digs there. When did you decide to be a lawyer? Was, let me guess. Was it one of the situations where you were young and people could not stand you? You're so argumentative. They said, hey, look, Danny, you are a lawyer because I, I, you are, are, are amazing at argument. Well, I'll take that in a couple of ways. I'm glad you said that. This goes back probably 20 years. I was in the kitchen of my house losing another fight with my wife. She was dressing me down something awful. She leaves victorious. I'm left there in shambles, and I feel a tug on my pant leg. And my then probably five-year-old daughter, Jillian, who's now 25, is tugging on my pant leg, and I look down at her and she up at me, and I say, you know, what's, what's going on? And she said, Daddy, you know what? I know why you're such a good lawyer. And I said, oh, I thought first, what the heck did you just see that would make you right, <laughs> right, believe right. that? But I said, why do you think that is? And she said, because you're such a good arguer. Oh. And I thought about that for a second, and I knelt down and I looked at her and I said, listen, honey, I got to tell you something. If you ask me, being a good lawyer isn't about being a good arguer. Being a good lawyer is about being a good problem solver. And that's what like we it. as lawyers are privileged to have the opportunity to do every day is to solve people's problems and to make the world a better, more worthwhile place for people. So circling back to why I became a lawyer, my dad's a lawyer. Okay. He just retired a couple years ago. He's doing more golfing now than he is anything else. Ah, uh, he's living um, my dream. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's uh, yep, working on it. So I got to thinking, and I didn't really piece it together back then. But just to move again forward, I was talking to one of my now former partners for reasons that will become obvious in a second. 
and I was having one of my existential existential crisis uh, um, crisis ridden moments about why I'm in this profession and where whether we make any difference or do any real good. And um, I said to him, you know, I think about it and I figure if you want to make money, you can do pretty much near anything. But if you want to make a difference, you become a lawyer. And he said, do you really think what we do makes a difference? I'm like, oh my God, you are, you're in the wrong business. I think I'm in the right business. Right, right. So again, going backward, watching my dad help folks solve problems because he did a lot of injury and product liability work which is injured product, people right. get injured by products. I wanted to make that same difference. I wanted to do real good, help folks, and make their lives better. And of course, you know, you know, do good while doing well. There's no shame or harm in doing well either, making some money. We all want to do it, but why not do it for a good overall worthwhile purpose? The mortgage company is very happy that we get paid. Yep. And I figure, you know, 20, 30, 30 years into it, I've seen a lot of stuff, and I've seen a lot of um, folks unable to gain access to justice. You know, these are folks who deserve it the most, but who tend to get it the least, who right. don't know they have legal issues, don't know how to resolve their legal issues, don't know who to talk to to get help, don't know how to pay for folks if they even identify them. Issues that we might take for granted, like your credit card screwed you over. My daughter just had the pipes, uh, the uh, water main leak in her apartment in Washington, D.C. She was kicked out for four days, and the entire building is just back in occupancy and doing nothing but, by God, my, my daughter Jillian is out about $1,000, which means I'm out the $1,000, and we want it back. So I, I will show you, actually. It's right here. I just prepared a letter, certified mail, return receipt requested, demanding her money back for having paid for two nights hotel stay and a bunch of Ubers for something that wasn't her fault. Legal issues that people don't appreciate or have an aptitude for. I wanted to bring like that, that wellness, awareness, empowerment to people for free in an easy and fun way. So you're a much better face to the legal profession than Michael Cohen. Uh, Michael Cohen, you know, he described it as he was the fixer. You are a problem solver. Much better spin to say you're a problem solver rather than a fixer. So, so was there a certain case that led you to form this lawyer wellness idea uh, or, or this lovable lawyer? Was there a certain eureka moment or was it just gradual over the course of your career? It was something was happening and I couldn't quite figure it out. I was I was discontent. I wanted to do more. I wanted to cut out the middleman because people hire lawyers after they have problems. They don't hire them or gain access to legal wellness or awareness or empowerment before they have a problem. Nobody does it in the same manner as people tend not to get physicals. They let themselves get sick and then go in. They don't get diabetes. You know, annual checks or cardio, cardiovascular, you know, checkups. Right, they wait right. till they have a heart attack. So I wanted to do, to do something to bring that model, that accessibility to people before things got bad. So I, 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 I'd been teaching, or really chairing, this big program for the American Bar Association for about 13 years. I just retired from it about three weeks ago because I figured it, nobody needs to hear that much out of me. My wife actually agreed. So it's called, it, it was and still is called the ABA National Institute on Class Action, biggest class actions program in the okay. country for lawyers, judges, professors, and the like. And I put on this really provocative, fun, edgy, creative programming, talk shows, game shows, mock oral arguments, mock mediations, really fun, vibrant stuff. 
and it's totally ephemeral and it just disappears after you're done with an hour nobody remembers it there's no record of it and I'm thinking who does that really help come into the day to the extent people remember it if they even remember what I taught them so how can I create a more permanent enduring record of my aptitude for you know an interest for an interest in helping people so I took around the date took a look rather around the daytime kind of TV and internet landscape and observed a couple of things I first observed that there's a lot of we'll call it physical and emotional wellness content out there okay. like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil right how to be safe and sound in your mind and body there's also a lot of we'll call it financial wellness content out there Susie Orman Jim Cramer how to set up a 529 for your kids college an IRA for yourself but where it comes to that or came to that third essential wellness bucket legal wellness which flows into the other two in so many sorts of ways there was nothing there except these exploitative after the fact courtroom shows where the cameras show up after things have blown up right so right. why not I thought slide the dial back and bring this sort of content to folks before things get bad so they can avoid the problems that the other shows tend to exploit. And that's where the concept of legal wellness was created. Interesting. So your objective is to not have stories that I then can use for my class. I tend to talk about the mess-ups, the train wrecks, because those do seem to interest people. But you're saying, hey, look, train wrecks involve real people, real lives. Why not actually care for the people themselves before they get to that train wreck position? I like that concept, even though it does hurt my business model. You, you'll have no shortage of content. Trust me. I, I think you're right. <laughs> There'll always be something right. for you. I think you're right. So let's back up there then. And so you created this, um, this, this YouTube channel where you have certain videos on there where you talk about wellness issues and, and the lovable lawyer. Do you have a couple of favorites where you, you did the episode and you said to yourself, or, or maybe your wife or your kid, I don't know, I nailed this one. This nailed one it. is a lot yes. of fun. I do. I have one, some that stick out. And for different reasons. Some are fun. Some are more purposeful. Some more, are more applicable to people. And and the first of all, the videos tend to fall into three, call it conceptual buckets. The first are kind of, um, you know, really topical issues that are that are hot today and that largely channeled through covid okay you know there's so many covid issues like for instance covid waivers what's a covid waiver Let, this is going to go back like a year and a half but let's say you're driving to soccer practice and uh, you got your kid in the back seat and you pull up and coach says crack the window and you do it and he slips in a piece of paper and says sign this or johnny can't practice with you know the soccer team Right, and you're right. like, I don't know what this is, what it means, what it says, what its contours, its limitations, if even, you know, the questions to ask, right? Yeah. All I know mm -hmm. is that I'm late for work, he's crabbing in the back, I'll sign it, get the heck out of here. COVID waivers. There were also a lot of PPE issues. Um, personal protective equipment, I think that's what was, okay. we're forgetting already. In the workplace, let's say you work at a McDonald's, you work at a meat processing plant, you're feeling a little too close for comfort with the people next to you and there aren't enough things, you know, with, with, um, with masks and with, with sanitizer back when things were really bad, what are my employer's duties and obligations to me? How about higher education issues? Every campus shuts down, right? You have to study at home. And maybe you do or don't get the same benefit of your bargain as it concerns classroom because they never promise something live. So is that an issue? But 
whether it is or isn't. What about the health center that's locked up you're paying for? What about the technology lab you can't use, say computers or printers or whatever in there because they're locked up? What about the sports teams that aren't playing but you paid for tickets? Right. Do you, right. Do you deserve that money back? That's a discussion. It's a conversation. People deserve to know they should have. So what is the or answer not to have. that? Or not. The answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah, I think. Now that sounds like a lawyer, right? My lovable lawyer gives me an answer. Joel, you're screwed. Or Joel, I got a, I got, I got a remedy for you. Well, you know, it's a state law issue. So I don't know if the state of state law is across the country, but my gut's telling me without giving advice, because I don't give advice, you can't give advice. You can only raise awareness. That's a good point. Is that as it concerns the teaching, for some people actually learning at home is better and easier and more convenient and, and, and um, it's actually preferred. So can you certify that as a class, it's called, where everybody feels the same way? Probably not. Right. But is everybody kicked out of the uh, stadium when the teams aren't playing but they paid for tickets? Yes. That's probably a better case. Interesting. That's one category. All right. Second category is evergreen issues, they call them. Things that have been around forever. What do you do if you're in an auto accident? How do I handle traffic court? Forced arbitration clauses, what are those? We'll talk about those because that's my number one fave. Okay. And okay. third, kind of topical, fun, pop culture issues that have a legal twist of meaning to people, like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. Oh, it wasn't a spousal abuse trial, it was a defamation trial. What can we learn from their mistakes so as to avoid being the defendant in the next one of those cases? Right. So, I've not answered your question yet. You asked me three faves, and they derive from those buckets. Okay. First is forced arbitration. What's that? In the small print on the back at the bottom, pretty much every consumer contract we all have, whether it's for your credit card, your cell phone, your auto loan, whatever, is language that says, if you have a beef with me, and I'm the company, you have a beef with me, you can't sue me. You forego your Seventh Amendment right to a jury trial. Seventh Amendment, big darn deal. Top 10 Amendment, right? There are only 26 of them. It's a big deal. It's eviscerated in favor of individualized arbitration where I, the company, hires the arbitrator and the data right. show that you're going to lose 90 plus percent of the time because why? If the arbitrator rules for the consumer, the company ain't going to hire him again. So right. forced arbitration, big problem. That's a video. Second type of video, um, this derives from the Johnny Depp Amber Heard videos. I had a triad of them. I did one video dressed as Jack Sparrow talking about... Oh, I got to see that one claims and what, what they were actually suing each other for, because nobody right. broke it down. I did the second video uh, dressed up as Edward Scissorhands. We talked about the verdict, who won, and I channeled it through the verdict form, so it was really easy and understandable, because verdict forms necessarily are, because jurors need to understand them in the way the media doesn't relate to people. Right. And the third is Willy Wonka talking about, hey man, the fun has just begun, because the appeal's underway. That's three more years. And what does that mean? So we all have an aptitude for the case going forward. And the lesson from those cases is, here's what you need to prove to win a defamation case. Amber Heard didn't think she was gonna get sued for 10 million bucks, and she's out of pocket unless she gets it flipped on appeal. So don't do that. Learn from I, her. I hate to point out that you mentioned three different characters. Uh, the Sparrow, uh, then you mentioned uh, Scissor Hands, and then Willy Wonka. There were two people to this lawsuit. I think Wonder Woman, or, or wasn't what, what did Amber Heard play? She was, she was, uh, I think, Mora or Mara, Aqua Woman or something. I don't know. She, she was. Well, you wouldn't want to see me dressed in that skin tight. Skin. Well, I don't know. It would be. I went with Willy Wonka. <laughs> it, 
It would be compelling. I'm just saying, you're only picking one side here. There's two, two, two sides to tango, but hey, you know what? That's, it does sound like it's really compelling. I presented, both, si- yeah, I presented both sides fairly because you okay. need to, okay. and in a way that's accessible to people because if you're a teacher, you know that people need to understand your message. No sense sounding like a lawyer. Not only do people not get you, they don't like you by the time you're done. Right, right. We had a case here in Kansas where a guy showed up at the Kansas Supreme Court arguing a, a uh, constitutional case dressed as Thomas Jefferson. And, and the thought there was, why not underscore the importance of the constitutional rights by dressing up as your favorite founding figure? I think you maybe are landed on something. Have you ever thought about bringing this costume bit in front of the jury? Well, uh, it's funny because the closest I can get to that is when uh, Justice um, um, Jackson was was going through the confirmation process. Yes. I wanted to demystify that process for people because nobody really understands what's behind it with the the, uh, Judiciary Committee and the vote from the full Senate and how there's no filibuster and all this stuff. So I did a green green screen rather of the Supreme Court. I ordered a white wig and a robe and glasses and gavel and I did the uh, video dressed as an old um, Supreme Court judge. Oh, you know what? I, I, re- I retract my statement then. You are playing both sides. Kudos to you. And uh, I, I can't wait to, to see that one. All right. Well, you mentioned oh, by the way, videos. My, my, my th- the third, yes, the yes, third, because oh, lawyers are supposed to remember this stuff. I remember your question. The third video I like, I've already talked about. They're the uh, COVID videos and really... Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the constitutionality of mass mandates and compulsory vaccinations. And anybody who wasn't you know, in favor would say it's unconstitutional. If you channel that argument and that theme and that lesson through the Constitution and Supreme Court jurisprudence in particular, this Jacobson versus Massachusetts case from a couple right. centuries yeah. ago, it's actually not unconstitutional for the government to require masks and vaccines. Might not like it, but don't say it's unconstitutional. It is interesting. So back in the early 2000s, for some reason, I got asked to litigate some vaccination cases in in New York. And so somehow I became known as the vaccination lawyer, which I thought was odd. You know what I'm talking about. Because my kids were all fully vaccinated. I mean, I was vaccinated. It wasn't as if I had something against vaccines, but I became known as the vaccination lawyer. It is kind of interesting to see how the laws intersect with your personal autonomy, and even during the recent, um, uh, you know, uh, when was it? Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, during her confirmation proceedings, you know, she was asked about, oh, no, no, during the, the case, the, the case that's uh, the Dobbs case before the U.S. Supreme Court right now, the Roe v. Wade case, uh, she, she talked about how in the Constitution there is this right to bodily autonomy. And so how will that play out? Who knows what the future is going to hold when it comes to vaccines? Well, yet at the same time, when the Indiana University case and the compulsory vaccinations there was making its way through, the Seventh Circuit, the Intermediate Court of Appeals, Judge Easterbrook, by the way, uh, wrote the opinion saying, yes, vaccinations are not unconstitutional. The uh, plaintiffs, their petition for cert, which means permission to go to the U.S. Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, who oversees cert petitions for the Seventh Circuit because she came out of Indiana, she's the one who denied uh, certiorari or permission to hear the case out of hand. And that was Amy Coney Interesting. Interesting. I mean, one, obviously, now we're going to play law school, right? We're we're, we're sitting around a law school room, just kind of shooting the breeze. You could see a case where if the government said, you got to shoot up your body with, with, with some kind of poison, arsenic, 
you at some level would have a constitutional right to say, eh, no, don't want to do that. So at, at some level, I think you have a right to bodily autonomy. But obviously, the government has a right to public health and wellness, to litigate concerns of the general public health that's been going on for, like I said, centuries. So where is that line drawn? And sometimes facts make the law. So what would the facts be that would cause a lot of change or shift in that regard? Maybe if there are questions concerning the vaccine's efficacy, maybe it's a, a matter of, of scale, how bad the pandemic is at the time. Right. Back in, back in what was it? The, was it the 1800s? Don't, don't quote me. But it, I mentioned that Jacobson versus Massachusetts case. Right, where right, there right. Was a, whatever plague it was, it, was a, it wasn't a pandemic. It was more limited than that. But Right, right, right. Um, it was it was it was underway in Boston or something, and somebody objected. Uh, Jacobson objected to getting vaccinated, and it made its way to the Supreme Court. And the court said, "Well, yes, you you not you have to so much as it's not unconstitutional for the state to require you to. It's a nuanced right, difference, right. but you get the point." Right, right. And that spawned a whole bunch of cases over the uh, over the centuries that I chronicle with my daughter in a couple of articles. One of which we hired. Uh, sorry, hired. Uh, um, Published, hello, published right, 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 with right. Columbia Law School. That was a real thrill. That was super fun to do. So the constitutional issues in the vaccine realm come up with the devil is in the details. And so if you had this vaccine requirement, you apply to everyone across the board, but you say to this group over here, you know what? Yeah, you don't have to receive the vaccine. Okay, hold on a second. Why government did you just exempt out this group what were the parameters that you used to define this group and it's the government's defining of that group that causes the government all kinds of problems and there are there were even exemptions back in jacobson versus massachusetts time where it had to do with uh, religion or health or something like that no different than there are now right. so there are exemptions subject yeah. to certain exemptions it's not unconstitutional i'll tell you and in, speaking of you know history you know, kind of telling or promoting strange lessons. When when my daughter and I were preparing the uh, Columbia article, we learned that back in, I think it was 1977, it was sometime in the 70s, the KKK down in Florida fought for the right to wear masks. They took that issue all the way to the Florida Supreme Court. Why? Because they didn't want their employers and friends seeing their faces at rallies and crossbars. Interesting. So they, and they said the constitutional allows me to wear masks and they won. Wow. Fast forward 50 years, folks of similar, we'll say ish ideology are taking the same text, the constitution and arguing it the other way to say that it doesn't allow the government to require masks. Totally backward. And I would say that most folks who make that argument aren't exactly textual, constitutional you know, right, scholars, right. so they don't know to break it down or to even observe what I just described. Now, does Michigan or Columbia or any other highfalutin law schools you've taught at, that's my definition, highfalutin, uh, as you can tell from my background, I'm a KU fan and a Nebraska fan, So, but I've heard about these law schools on the higher end of the, the, do they actually rate their professors? I know there's a long way to get to. You would be a fascinating professor to take. I mean, you are interesting. I am learning from you. Are you a favorite among the students? Well, you know, well, well, rock chuck. I mean, you know, I'm, I like <laughs> right, Kansas too. Right. So um, there, there is this Rate My Professors website. I think you've okay. got to be full-time because... I, I check periodically to see if I made it. I've never made it. They have different metrics. 
like ease of material, ease of grading, and then you get like um, chili peppers, <laughs> like okay. for hotness factor. Right. Um, and I'm kind of I'm kind of going after that metric, but um, I've not gotten rated uh, at all. In fact, I just came from teach, uh, chairing my last ABA National Institute on Class Actions in Austin, like a few weeks ago, three weeks or so ago. And we had close to 200 in the room for two days. And I'm thinking, I'm getting COVID for sure. I got a right, cold. Right, it right, wasn't right. COVID. By the time I was gone, I wished it had been COVID so I could check the box. I can't get COVID to save my life. I just jinxed myself. But anyway, so I'm always eager to see the evaluations because I want to learn and grow and get better based on what people say they liked or, more importantly, didn't like. And not one person filled one out. We got zero. But this is, I got a better story. I'm sorry. I'm, the, I'm a talker. I should have the show. I'm a talker. My first ever semester teaching law school. It was long enough ago that there weren't online evaluations. They were rather on paper. You slip them in the middle right. envelope. Somebody delivers them to the, to the dean's office, and you get on with class. So you can't see them until the grades are in because the, they're concerned that you'll, you, you'll <laughs> give you a bad eval, and you'll take it out of their grade. We all know that. So I see these evaluations after class, after the grades are in. And one of them stands out as noteworthy to me, and I still remember it till this day, which is why I'm telling the story. And it says, uh, one of the questions says, what did you like most about the class? And the student said, Professor Karen taught us what it was like to be a real life class action lawyer. He really brought the material to life. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's so great. Right. That's exactly what I was going for, right? That's what you want to do. Well, the next question was, what did, you like, what did you like least about the class? Uh-oh. Same student said, Professor Karen's real life insights and perspectives would keep anybody from ever wanting to be a class action lawyer. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so much for a new crop of competition. But hey, it is what it is. At least you I taught it with flair. You had this burden to teach, to tell people the truth, the unvarnished truth. And so you had a, a warts and all, you had to deliver it. Well, have you? I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Have you heard of the Texas Lawhawk? Is that the guy with the videos with the s- no sleeves? He, uh, he does. He is the guy with the videos. I, probably in one of the episodes. Yeah, like no a sleeves. big guy. Like he's like a lawyer. He's like nuts, right? He's a great, amazing lawyer, DUI lawyer there in Fort Worth. No, Texas. no, his his, his uh, like excitable. Like like his videos are really big. Very and- excitable. He's yelling at the top of his lungs. I think they're hard of hearing down there in Texas. I just mentioned that because I know that he was in some talks with Netflix about some kind of special for the Lawhawk. I am thinking here the lovable lawyer needs to meet up with the law hawk that would be compelling tv if you thought about doing an actual tv program with your lovable lawyer persona well you know what you're describing sounds like one of those you know superman meets batman things for dc (laughs) comics yes you know it kind of you know this whole this whole i just said you know twice and i was a speech and uh rhetorical theory major and you know that you know filler is the worst i'm really good at it and i just hit you with two of them so I'm thinking, and you're not going to hear anymore if, I, if, I, if, I, if I'm on my game. That's why we had the delete button. It's great. We have, we have an editor here, man. He'll just take out all the bad stuff. He makes me sound like – my only instruction is I want to sound like James Earl Jones when this gets done. So keep working on it. One of these days – is that James Earl Jones? No, that's Joel Oster. We're good to go. <laughs> had me fooled. Well, yes, I would like to do – a few things leading toward one big accomplishment with your lovable lawyer. I'd like to get a lot of subscribers so that I can deliver my message and legal wellness to everybody who deserves it. If I can then monetize it because I've got the following where companies want to come in and help pay to underwrite this thing because it's not cheap 
but I don't right. charge, right. then I can not only make something to help keep it underway, but give something to legal aid, which I think is a really worthwhile cause. Then ultimately, if I could get a show and become, say, the legal Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or something like that, I nice. think that would be great because there are innumerable legal issues. There are only so many physical body issues. I mean, your body is kind of finite and only so many things can happen. But we saw from COVID and the legal issues that spawned, I guess COVID's new to the body too, right? But they're just endless legal issues that are worth talking about that people don't even know exist. The COVID waiver is the that big is one. The class idea. action ban, the forced arbitration is a big one. People don't know this. Okay, you know what? Well, right here, we're, let's think together. A billion dollar idea. You just came up with a billion dollar idea. Is there a lawyer TV network? Oprah has her own network. You, the tennis has her own channel. What if we had a channel devoted solely? I mean, how much money does Judge Judy make? She is a bazillionaire. She's more well known than Justice Jackson on the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Oh, no doubt. So too yeah. are the other judges on these kind of half baked, you know, uh, court. Did it again. Half baked courtroom <laughs> drama, not drama so much as courtroom shows, and they're they're endless. Endless. There's right. tons of them out there. And they're, you know what I just saw on Roku TV? I didn't even know Roku had a, a was producing content. Right, right. But they right, were just right. putting up this the apps for my TV starter page. But Chrissy Teigen, the model, right. I think right. she's yeah. married to John Legend, right? The model, right. she's got, it's Chrissy's court. She's deciding okay. cases. Oh my God. This, she's this, not, this, she's this, not even this, a lawyer. This, this is the idea. Have you watched GAC, Great American Country, or CMT, Country Music TV? You ever watch those or MTV? Have you ever tried to watch either MTV or, or CMT and actually watch music videos? Here's my point. No. But they're all about that theme. Why don't we have that same thing with a lawyer's channel where we can cover the O.J. Simpson trial? Okay, that's dated. I get that. Uh, the Amber Heard trial. Well, they, we they, have, they have um, law and crime. Law and okay. crime okay. is Dan Abrams' Law Network. I don't know how widely distributed it is. I don't. I mean, I did. I did a. I taped a segment for that once. It never aired. But so I know. I know what it is. But I watched all their content during the Johnny Depp trial. Right. On on YouTube. And the funny thing is, get this. So I did these worthwhile, substantive Johnny Depp, Amber Heard videos to relate content and purpose right. and what's behind right. these, you know, allegations against each other and what to avoid to you know, stay out of similar trouble. And, you know, I shouldn't ascribe it to law and crime exclusively, but on YouTube, all you were seeing were Johnny Depp's 10 wittiest comebacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did Amber Heard do in that bed? How hot is that psychiatrist? I mean, <laughs> purposeless stuff. And I'm like, good Lord, you're getting a million and a half views. Had, if you actually had real contents, you were doing the purposeless stuff that's fun, that's uh, that's tantalizing, titillizing, whatever. Uh, I make up words as I go because I used to also preach. I'm allowed to do that. Uh, if you had that with the actual substance as well that a law professor from Michigan could bring to the table, that to me would be compelling TV. And you I'm working on both. the balance. The, the content is tantalizing and, and my Jack Sparrow outfit was titillating. So oh, see, I'm trying to go. bring them all together. You need a good green screen, which this isn't. You know, it's so funny because when I started these videos, I was doing them here and they weren't very thoughtful because I'm learning. I'm trying to get the process done. I've got good content and I'm just kind of not thoughtlessly, but I didn't know any better. Kind of like people who don't know from their legal wellness that they lack. Don't know any right, better. Right, I'm right. doing them here. 
Then I figured I'll take it on the road and I'll do content in front of places. I'll have backdrops that matter. So, for right. instance, there was this anti-forced arbitration bill for uh, sexual discrimination and uh, harassment in the workplace that just got signed into law. And when it passed Congress, I wanted to do a video on it in front of the Fox News headquarters in Cleveland, where I am, because what spawned this bill was the Gretchen Carlson Fox News thing with Roger okay. Ayers, which led to that movie Bombshell. It was a big thing, and she couldn't sue because she had a forced arbitration clause in her employment contract. So anyway, I went to Fox's headquarters, not far from downtown Cleveland here, and they have a huge satellite dish, massive, with Fox 8 on it. And I set up my tripod, set up my camera right in front of that, had my script, I was ready to go, and the wind's blowing the tripod down. It was the middle of winter. And suddenly I hear something behind me. Some big security guard comes lumbering down from on top of the hill and the building says, sir, you can't tape here. You have to move out of here. You can't tape here. And I said, I said, I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen and this is public property. I have every right to tape here. He said, if you don't move your camera, I'm going to call Cleveland police. I said, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not that principled. I got the hell out of there and I taped up the street where he couldn't see me. But with a green screen, I can put anything behind me that I want. And it's much nicer and easier. I can relax. No weather. No security guards chasing me out. No people jeering and laughing at me. You know, make, right. and getting in my shot. That that is nice. Hey, if we actually do this idea where we have our own TV network where we just talk about law stuff, I want a segment where I can do like the evening news, if you will, with a co-host of get this, Marissa Tomei. My cousin Vinny, Mona Lisa Vita, would that not be a grand slam? Well, it's so funny you said that because in legal circles, Marissa Tomei's cross-examination to my cousin Vinny, where she talks, where she's the expert on the time right, tracks, right. that is considered to be a work of art in it terms is. of tactic and technique. What you, you need to say and do as an expert to get your point across, and you don't need to be a PhD or a doctor or anything like that. She was an expert because she was qualified as somebody who knew what she was doing because she worked, what was it, in her dad's auto shop growing up or right. something? It right. is a master class in how to put an expert testimony. So funny Judge you said Posner that. Judge Posner actually talked about um, my cousin, how it's a great class to teach CLEs. Really? Yeah. Posner's a big fan of it. So, No kidding. I, I taught with Posner a few years ago in Vegas at my institute. He came in. He wow. doesn't like to travel. And this is before he retired from the bench. And this is when dialing in, zooming in was a big deal. Like, oh, my God, they're right. zooming in. Right. we got to lay cable, you know, whatever. But he was on a big screen. And I did the Anderson Cooper thing. I'm on, you know, with the CNN. And he's, it was really cool. And it was just a great conversation. And I was with his son on Friday at a okay. program in okay. Chicago. His son is a professor at University of Chicago, which I okay. didn't know. Interesting. Which makes sense because that's where he taught too. See, it's not who you know. It's who you know who knows someone. And now I know you who knows someone. So I am connecting. I am moving up the charts here. Um, well, what what is your end game? So you, you're doing this lovable lawyer. I know you want to increase the awareness of wellness concepts when it comes to your legal wellness. Is there also, are you trying to get clients? Do you want people to call you up and say, Daniel, will you take my case? I've just been injured by some product. What, what is your end game here? Well, very respectfully, I don't need more clients. I have more clients than I can service. I'm working probably till midnight every night, and it's not fun. I don't like that. But there's too much to do and too little time, and there are only two of us here in my office, and we're both right, working right, like right. rented mules. 
and the, they're great cases. So I'm perfectly content with the cases I have. That said, if a good case comes in, you never want to say no. It's kind of like, again, I'm in Ohio, so sometimes people will call and say, hey, I've got this case in um, Cincinnati, um, and that's like three some three and a half hours for me. Right, right. You know, do you work? Do you do work down in Cincinnati? To which I ask them, tell me about the case. It's a good case. I go anywhere. So, if it's a good case, you want to take it. You want to help. But is your lovable lawyer intended to drive conventional law business through my Karen LLC law firm? Because I have a real law firm. You're sitting. You're looking at a law office. No, it's not. It's my side hustle. It's my passion project. That in the book. And I want to add real value by cutting out the middleman and bringing legal wellness and aptitude to people who need it without their having to even work that hard. But after they finish a video, they know to write the letter to the apartment because, right. by God, they should get their money back too. One last thought here. Susie Ullman. Is that, is that how you say her name? Orman? Ullman. Orman. All right. I, I believe she's the right one I'm talking about here. She used to say, look, for financial wellness, you need to make sure your billfold is organized. Make sure all your dollar bills are lined up in order. If you don't get your billfold in order, your finances will not be in order. Do you have something similar to that when it comes to law? I am working. Those are some evergreen topics that I need to still put together. And I have them on a list. I was thinking of putting one together this weekend on your home estate package. What do you need okay. Okay. to be properly papered in case God, or when, God forbid, something happens? If you have a simple will, that's something. If, if you have no will, that's a problem. A trust, durable power of attorney, living will, all these sorts of things. I might have gotten the terms wrong because I'm not a wills and trusts guy, but I learned right. this stuff for purposes of taping videos, and we just did our whole package to ensure that we have things set up the right way. Health insurance premises liability insurance you want I have a video on what the law is when somebody slips in your driveway in the winter common problem really? common question really? whose fault is it is it yours is it an act of God is there coverage there is it theirs I've always wondered that let's say someone comes to my house and they get injured using my, my toilet for whatever reason they slip off a seat they injure themselves whatever uh, they would sue me but they're not really suing me, right? They're suing the insurance company behind me. So in those situations, do you have the situation where the, the homeowner actually is sympathetic to the, the toilet seat victim? Oh boy. Well, first of all, they are suing you because you're on the you're on the complaint. Right, it's just right. that it's your 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 defense and any payout are being underwritten by State Farm or Travelers or whomever, right? Yeah. And, and this guy's my mean, friend. I want my guy to get paid. Well, there's a difference between liability and payment. If there's no right. liability or fault, the insurance company doesn't have to pay, but the insurance company pays for your lawyers for a determination of no fault. But the question you raise is interesting because it's no different than in an auto accident. If I hit yeah. somebody with my car, the, and I know it's my fault because I know that I was texting or something stupid, then the first thing I want to do is apologize, which is admissible. Right. Second thing I want to do is have my insurance company pay, which they don't want to do. So you have a duty to cooperate with your insurer. If you go own up to everything, your insurer is pissed off at you, and then, then you're at odds because it's really a three-sided triangle. When you're right. in a premises liability case or an auto liability case, it's really dicey. And your insurer will tell you, don't say anything to right. the other side, even though you might want to terribly. 
Okay, I want to piggyback on that. I know you said earlier you don't give out legal advice, but I want you to make an exception here, all right? Because you're, you're my guest on this podcast. Let's say this is a, a true story. So we finally bought my wife a brand new CRV. Uh, it took us six, I say finally, it took us six months between we put our name on it until the, the CRV actually came in. We drive it home from the dealership. This is day two of owning this new CRV. I back out of the driveway first. She pulls out second behind me. I have a moment of lapse. I, I, I forget that she's actually coming out after me. I put the garage door down. It goes right on top of her CRV, damages the top of her car. Should I sue my wife? Do I have wow. a case? Or, can my wife sue me? Uh, should we even be talking now? Is this a marriage? Are we headed to divorce court? Well, you, you have coverage, so you, you know you're not paying for it. Um, I wouldn't want to be you, regardless. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I know. But can you? Should you sue your spouse? As I sit here, I won't give advice because I don't know the answer. So I got out of that one. But I don't know of any reason why you can't. And if it's a matter of insurance coverage, you would want to tap that coverage. So you certainly wouldn't want to self-pay it. So you got to do something to get into that coverage. I, uh, but said, as a former insurance agent, here's going to be my advice to myself. Don't turn it in, you idiot. That's a good way to get canceled. But that's, that's, my, that's my insurance side of me coming out. I know better than to file a claim. That's a short ticket to finding a new insurance company. Right, right. How about this? How about just be more careful and don't close the garage door next time? Have you been talking get, to Wendy? Get, Have you been get talking to her? Get one of those sets. You in that, you're in that golden doodle crowd. You're probably talking to her on golden doodle websites. Can't tell you that. It's privileged. <laughs> That's right. All right. Hey, lastly here, go ahead again. Tell us how people can find you on the internet and maybe not uh, TikTok. Where can people find you? If you go to www.yourlovablelawyer.com, you'll see and find everything you need to access me, access the videos, access some written materials. If that is you feel like reading a bit about how to make yourself a little uh, more, you know, better protected legally but it's really about the videos and they're organized and categorized in an accessible way so you know what to go toward and what to look at if you have a problem. And hopefully you emerge from the experience better informed and feeling better protected than you went in. And that's my goal. Okay, Daniel, I lied. I do have one more question. I'm so sorry about that. Like a lawyer. Uh, yeah, I just have one more question. Exactly, it's like you're in a deposition. Half hour We're later. All, last question, no, hold on, two more hours. Uh, no. You, what is, do you have a video coming out soon that we should be paying attention to? I mean, one, you, it's in your mind. You're, devi you're devising. You, you have a character in, that you thought of. You, you got costume orders from Amazon. Do, do you have a video that we should be watching for? I'll tell you what. I just thought of this in the car on the way in. I'm kind of stealing my own thunder, but 4th of July is coming up. Okay. And I'm trying to think of something to channel through the 4th of July. I don't know if it's going to be about fireworks safety or something more. Uh, innate to the holiday with a legal twist so people can appreciate it more. But I thought I'd uh, get a costume like um, Francis Scott Key or like a Patriot. I like it. And do it in front of I see of, you um, waving your hands. I see all 10 fingers there. So even though you do something, please keep all 10 fingers or give me a call. We'll talk about a lawsuit. So, hey, thanks so much, Daniel. I appreciate your time coming on this uh, podcast. Good luck to you and the lovable lawyer. You're so welcome. Thanks for the time. And I hope uh, everyone got a kick out of it. Thanks again. Now it's time for courtroom quarterback. This is the dun, segment dun, dun. every week. Exactly, Chris. I, I need you to play the music. Go ahead and do the music again. No, no, no. No, no, no. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Does ESPN nope. have the rights to that? I don't know. The, Probably the, 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 do. I, I dare the, them to come after us. Blow us up. Have us be the team that takes <laughs> down ESPN. Because I do think I would defend you if that was some kind of copyright infringement. They would say, look, no, no, no. Listen to him say that. No one recognizes where that's coming from. All we know is Chris maybe got up a little bit too early and is stuttering. I don't know. Uh, totally but, stuttering. I haven't had anything to drink this morning. It's all stuttering. All right, you got to have your coffee. Well, Chris, I don't know what you want to talk about. Uh, This is uh, the area of sports, and I know this last week, your team, also my team, won the NBA title. How stoked were you? So, so stoked that I went in the next morning and decorated my coworker's desk in nothing but gold and yellow Golden State photos, streamers, because she's a Boston Celtics fan. And wow. I made sure that she knew whose house this was. That is hostile well, workplace environment. It's that not is- hostile work. You know what? She would not have gotten that if she hadn't have sent me when Boston won the games. She sent me all these memes and pictures and all this. She started it. Right, I, there you go. I just wait like a gentleman until we won the whole thing. And then I laid the hammer down. I, at some level, too, you have the defense of, you're right. You're just looking yeah. out for her better interest there. She right. is a wayward Celtics fan. You're trying to show her the right. better way. Chris, I, it dawned on me, uh, I was having this debate with my son, where the NBA draft happened here last night, yep. and the Golden State Warriors, their team is for the large part all homegrown. Yeah. These are not free agents that just came to the Golden State Warriors. I know you have your Andrew Wiggins, but beyond that, yeah. no, Curry, Clay Thompson, great Draymond Green, Poole, and all these guys Looney. were drafted yeah. by this organization. Yeah. We build champions, man. We don't buy champions. They That's why I'm a huge Golden State Warriors fan. Well, that and they have Wiggins. I do love of how course. Curry has changed the game. So the big debate we've been having in our household is where does Curry now fit in the greatest of all time? So I'm going to throw this uh, by Ooh. you. When it comes to point guards, where does Curry fit in the greatest point guards of all time? I don't put him number one. I did put him at number two. Well, what are your thoughts? Ooh, I would say top three for sure. But number one, that's that's hard. When, it's got to be Magic. I don't think anyone's better than Magic. Right, but Curry still has maybe four or five years left in him. He could True. pass. He could pass up Magic in those next four or five years. Oh, he'll pass up Magic stat-wise, but with Magic, no. you also have the fact that HIV took out the prime years. So right. when you evaluate how dominant Magic was, you then also realize, oh, he lost half of his career, and he was still that dominant. Yeah, but you got to say something about personal responsibility. Like, I, I, yeah, you lost half your career because you did some things that you probably shouldn't have been doing as a player. So... That, that that's your that's well. your consequence. So I think, I think you're being a homer, right? That I think that's a consequence. Steph Curry, you know, he on the court and on the court, he's arrogant as all get out. You know, I, the the iconic shot of him pointing to his ring finger, right? Yes. That that was all over the news. The doing way he's sleeping bite, motion, right? Doing the biting of the the mouth guard, the slapping of the chest, all that stuff. He's arrogant, but if you look at his home life as well, he's a good dad. He's a good family man. He you is. Know, he he's he does charity work and all sorts of stuff. So I think that you know Curry could surpass Magic in 
greatness in the league and then what he does outside the league what is he what is he does he turn into a steve kerr like mini right or does he go coach basketball for davidson or wherever he goes up and do it you got to look at the the whole shoot match here and i think curry will at least be in the same breath as the greatest point guard of all time but i don't know if he's there yet to surpass magic Here's another reason why I would not put him over Magic, and that is you are just analyzing Curry based on his offensive skills, and that is true. He is an amazing offensive presence. I don't think he was as good as Magic. Magic can play all five positions. That's uh, true. He could dominate at center and at point guard. He was the master passer. I'm not sure Curry's passing skills match up to um, to Magic Johnson, and of course okay. Magic knew how to score the ball as well. But the biggest difference is defense curry is a defensive liability and we won't even discuss that so. we're talking about curry because his greatness is not in his deep on the defensive side they make up for it they have they'll do some double teams and the other you know teammates right, will know right. how to to help out when needed curry is amazing because he can shoot the ball at amazing accuracy from the other zip code and that is an amazing right. his talent that he has he's opened up the floor of the nba court he's revolutionized the game in that way so that's why i am putting him in the top two and i know i probably took out your other boy john stockton because maybe john stockton would then be number three it, oh he's for sure that... he's for sure number three that was going to be my my look at is one, two, three was, you know magic stockton and curry but not in any specific order john stockton with the teams that he had over the years and the loyalty that he showed to the jazz, the guy was amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I think he's definitely in the top three. Yeah. He was an amazing career to, to watch. Right. I loved watching John Stockton and the mailman there in right? Utah. Why this is really off the subject. The Utah jazz. If any team should have changed their name when they moved, it was originally <laughs> the new Orleans jazz. Yep. They moved to Utah, the land of lakes. Or not lakes. I don't know what Utah has out there. Uh, Mormons. Lots of Mormons. Okay, you really couldn't put that in here. The, the Utah <laughs> Mormons, that would not have flown. And so maybe <laughs> keep it Utah Jazz. I don't know. All right. So we had that conversation. Now let's get to our final topic of the day. Let's bag on Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell this last week appeared before a house committee and yep. while he's testifying so he's put under oath right you're testifying in right. front of a house committee you're put under oath so if you lie that is perjury it's not perjury. Like you're doing a press release where they lie all the time no no you are now placed under oath you are basically essentially te giving testimony to the u.s congress you've got to tell the truth well he was asked by ohio congressman jim jordan what he thought about dave Portnoy, who was the Barstool Sports founder, and he has been banned by NFL games. He's banned from NFL games. This guy can't even attend NFL games. Why? Why are you banning someone from attend even being a fan, buying a ticket, and going to an NFL game? How does that strike you? I Jim Jordan set it up masterfully, though. Because he asked the first question he asked Goodell was, Do you believe in the First Amendment? Do you believe that everybody should right, have freedom right. of speech? Do you believe in the freedom of the press? And Goodell's like, yeah, of course, of course I do, of course I do, of course I'm. <laughs> and then he goes, so why did you ban Dave from everything? And Goodell's like, I don't know that name. Like you just called right. out his mistress to his wife, and he's just like, I don't, I don't know that. I that that is not my baby. That is not my baby. I have no clue, who's, dude. 
You know who that guy is. You've banned him from every NFL event. There's there's hundreds of pictures and stories about him being arrested outside of Patriots games or the Pro Bowl or the Super Bowl. Like, you know who the guy is. Just say you don't like him, Goodell. Just say you don't yeah. like the fact that he calls you out and calls you an idiot, and he's right. Roger Goodell, admit you have thin skin. We, we all know that. That's why you had this lawsuit right. from John Gruden. Admit that's why you banned him. But this right. also, Portnoy, actually, so there was this uh, auction where you could buy a, a um, uh, you could bid for a, a, to watch an NFL game with Roger Goodell. And there was a winning bid of $250,000. Wow. Do you know who was that winning bid? Who Roger made that Goodell? winning bid? To, no, do you know who made that winning bid to watch an NFL game with Roger Goodell? His wife? Uh, no, David Portnoy. Oh, the He won the bid. He ooh, bid $250,000 to watch an NFL game with Roger Goodell. So what did the NFL do? They said, Banned no, him. We, we are not going to yeah. allow him to do this. We're going to return the money because of a failed background check. Uh-huh. What the heck? What do you mean failed background uh-huh. check? Oh, this is what they meant. They forgot to check with Roger Goodell. Who is on your petty list of people you don't like? Yes, we got John Gruden. You also have Dave Portnoy. And so yeah. Yeah, Roger Goodell has very thin skin. But when he was asked about him by Ohio congressman, uh, he said, I don't really even know who you're talking I don't about. Know. I have no I don't recollection know of these events. I don't know right? Yeah. No. That would not pass uh, muster. That is a lie. If you said that in in real conversation, you would tell that person, you are deceiving me. You're being less than forthright. I don't want to be your friend anymore. But he said that to Congress. I think there should be perjury charges. I think so, too. I think that would be awesome. Maybe they would, you know, actually do something now. But they won't. That would- no, they, they won't. All right. Hey, you know what? It has been a great week. I've got to get going. I got a wedding sermon to write and prepare for. So, hey, Chris, have a great week, and we will see you next week. See you later, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri- Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.